Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today you're going to hear round one from a show recorded November 22nd, 2013 at the Nerdmelt Theater in Los Angeles, featuring Jordan Morris, Ryan Singer, Jesse Elias, Keith Carey, and Lisa Curry, reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing. Enjoy. And keep it going for your first round one comic who has brought a prepared piece, Mr. Ryan Singer, ladies and gentlemen. Very handsome, Mr. Ryan Singer. Bastion jerked awake and looked at the clock. 7.25 a.m. He was exhausted. Could it all have been a crazy dream, or did he just save Fantasia? (laughs) Bastion, Bastion, wake up. You're going to be late to school. Bastion, his father yelled. I'm serious. Remember what I said. You have got your, get your head out of the clouds and my feet on the ground. I know. I know. It's the only thing you ever say to me since mom died. Bastion yelled back without thinking. Little did his father know what happened in those clouds. Bastion saw the most beautiful creature he ever laid eyes on, the childlike empress. Her skin was so perfect and looked so smooth. Maybe it was the blurry lens that seemed to always follow her around. But it didn't matter. He had never seen such soft, supple, perfect lips on a woman, let alone a young girl. Bastion slunk out of his bed and stumbled onto something that threw off his step. He looked down and saw that he had kicked gently across the floor a book. Was it real? It was the never-ending story. He hurried to his knees like a woman eager to please her lover. Once on all floors, on all fours, he could see that the book was not closing flush. There was something that had penetrated the pages, leaving a tight gap, an inviting slit, placed perfectly in the middle of its tan, worn, and leathery case. As he gently slipped in a finger, (laughs) then two, inside its dry pages, he felt a slight chill, something round and cold, the kind of cold that almost feels like it is wet, like the dew on a leaf in the early morning of fall. He bit his lip, closed his eyes, and then with the ease and steadiness of a master chef pulling out his cooked brisket from a tight oven's hole, (laughs) retrieved a necklace that held an emblem, emblem in its clutches, the Orin. It was real. Don't make me come up there, Bastion, his father yelled. He knew what he had to do. He knew what he wanted more than anything. And if the Empress was right, if the Orn granted unlimited wishes, then he was soon to become a man. He could feel the crotch and his tidy whities constrict like a wooden door frame in winter as his father's loud, heavy-hearted shoes began to slam their soles into the naked, defenseless staircase. The choice was clear. Nighthob was gnawing on a thick, wet, juicy stick when he heard a loud noise from the distance. He moved his rough and dirty tongue slowly from side to side until the stick's tip flopped onto his cracked and bleeding lower lip. Meanwhile, Teeny Weeny, a plump man befitting of his name, straightened his top hat, zipped up his colorful slacks, and stepped away from the large, slimy, perfectly and perpetually lubed traveling partner that was his racing snail. The rockbiter rolled to a sudden stop as if he didn't expect to come so fast upon the stunned faces that admired his largeness from below. I've never seen one so big, 
exclaimed Nighthob. Teeny Weenie's mind raced to the possibilities of the hugeness and hardness of the other parts of his body. I'm on a mission to the Ivory Tower as my land, the North, is being swallowed one load at a time <laughs> by the limpness, the rockbinder said. The same thing is happening in my land as well. It's as if the limpness is slowly sucking every inch of our lush, soft, perfectly curved land into its mouth. Then it's happening everywhere. What are we doing here waiting around when we should go see the childlike empress, screamed Teeny Weeny. There was a congregation of people gathered at the ivory tower, and Chiron, a tall, black, silver-bearded man, stood addressing the concerned crowd. The limpness is destroying our perfectly curved hills, our hard, firm oaks, and wet, soft oceans. But there is one who can help us, a brave warrior with legendary stamina from the purple buffalo hunters. His name is Atreyu, said Chiron. The crowd parted down the middle as if a stern lover decided the legs of the partner needed to grant access. Atreyu, small, almost too pretty to be a boy, walked through their stairs like a hand makes its way to its sensual destination. Each step he took was like a finger creeping closer to its candy. I am Atreyu, he declared. What? You are a child, exclaimed Chiron. And a boy with such perfect hair? Impossible! <laughs> I am the best in hunting the purple buffalo, and the best at eating it, too, <laughs> declared Atreyu. The crowd gasped. Atreyu began to walk away when suddenly the childlike empress emerged wearing a soft, silky nightgown that left little to any human's imagination. Then a majestic bed rose from the ground, and Atreyu's eyes widened as the empress smiled. It's time for you to hunt the buffalo, Atreyu, <laughs> the empress suggested. But here, now, with all these people around? Atreyu asked. Yes, for it is the only way to get a human child to come. <laughs> As Atreyu walked up the steps, slowly untying the leather strings around his perfectly tanned smock, the crowd gathered closer so they could see and hear every movement. Then from above the crowd, a loud roar bellowed. It was Falcor, the luck dragon, carrying Bastion on his back. But today, he was a fuck dragon. <laughs> Falcor landed softly on the platform and Bastion dismounted him with eagerness in the nerves of a boy facing the ceremony of his manhood, swelling inside and outside of himself. Take your clothes off, Bastion, said the Empress. Watch as Atreyu hunts my buffalo, and then, only then, can your wish be fulfilled. Bastion swallowed the tangy and salty lump of excitement in his throat and told her yes. Atreyu approached the bare, soft, perfect naked empress and focused his sights between her legs on a bright light like a diamond with the sun emanating its life force from within its prism case. Atreyu began to hunt with his tongue and hunt vigorously he did. The crowd no longer passively observed as they all disrobed and began to mesh their buffet of bodies and limbs together in a chorus of desire. The empress shivered with joy as Atreyu's mouth sword made its way around her pleasure gem and then in sync with her body the ivory tower began to tremble. Moans and groans echoed throughout the tower's walls. I'm so close, Bastion! I'm so close! The Empress yelled. Blood-curdling screams then filled the air. The Gamork, a beast that looked of nightmares, arrived and split the crowd with its hellish growl. The Rockbiter tried to intervene but couldn't keep his limestone member hard enough because the limpness closed in and the presence of the Gamork rendered him soft. 
It looked like a good, strong schlong, didn't it? I am a servant of the limpness. Fantasia is the world of human sexual hopes and wet dreams. Those without wet dreams are easier to control. You'll have the pleasure of being my last victim as I ram my darkness into you since I couldn't find the only one who could stop the limpness. His name was Atreyu, said Gamork. If we're going to die, screamed Atreyu, I'm going to die fucking. I am Atreyu, Gamork! Come inside me! Gamork lunged towards Atreyu. Atreyu's hard and sharp staff unsheathed from its leather case penetrated Gamork's black hole with such intent that it killed him. Atreyu slumped Gamork's dead body off of him and wiped the remaining liquids of life, red and white both, onto Gamork's now cold dead fur. Bastion, you must say my name! You've already picked it! And you know you must be inside of me and say my name. The Empress was begging. Bastion remembered his father's words. But I have to keep my feet on the ground. Say my name, Bastion, she yelled. Okay, I'll do it, Bastion conceded. Bastion stepped in between the Empress's legs and felt her warmth envelop him in pure ecstasy. He began to thrust, and with each forward and back, he felt the scales of the former boy shedding to the ground, revealing a new man. He must fill her veins, her every organ with his juice, he thought. Pieces of the tower broke away and now float off into the nothing. Say my name, Bastion. You must come in me. Come inside me now, she begged, as the begging words for him to come came pouring out of her perfectly shaped mouth. He then poured all of his love, hopes, and seed explosively into her welcoming womb, almost as if he transcended to another plane of existence. The cork of his champagne bottle finally was launched. Bastion exclaimed as all the years of frustrations that had built up inside of him now were filling her. She moaned a heavenly sound, and she felt his essence filling her every fiber that made him produce even more. And as he unleashed his second batch inside of her, he gazed into her perfect eyes, and he knew that he would never leave. He would spend all of eternity in the clouds and inside of her. (laughs) Ryan Singer. Nice going, buddy. Keeping over Keith Carey. Thank you. Uh, my piece tonight is entitled Space Jam It Up My Dirty Shithole. Uh, <laughs> Michael Jordan sat alone in the locker room. <laughs> Drenched in sweat. By the way, author's note, uh, this is going to get weird, but not weirder than the fact that Space Jam fucking exists. (laughs) At some point in the 90s, somebody wrote that idea down and then probably bought a house. Uh, (laughs) Michael Jordan sat alone in the locker room, drenched in sweat and feeling the bitter sting of defeat. The halftime buzzer had provided a much needed moment of relief. But he knew that soon, he and the other members of his ramshackle team would be back on the court to face another trouncing at the beefy hands of the Monstars. Ever since the day he disappeared down a golf hole and found himself dragged to the animated realm of the Looney Tunes, Michael had been struggling to find some semblance of sanity amidst the zany madness that surrounded him. Meeting Bugs Bunny... (laughs) 
Meeting Bugs Bunny and the gang, that he could handle. Finding out that not only did aliens exist, but they also needed the Looney Tunes for an outer space theme park, that he somehow fucking dealt with. (laughs) But for the first time, he felt an insanity he had never known, that of defeat. From the other side of the room, Michael Jordan could hear the sounds of the Looney Tunes gang making the most of their halftime. Bugs was trying his best to rally the troops, Foghorn Leghorn was dispensing some old-timey wisdom, and Daffy Duck was being a fucking piece of shit about everything for no reason. (laughs) Although he had known them all for a short time, he still felt a deep shame that he was disappointing his new friends. Whether it's Michigan J. Frog or Scottie Pippen, no athlete wants to let down his team. Uh, Mr. Jordan? (laughs) 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 Michael was jolted from his moment of reflection by the sound of Porky Pig's soft voice. Porky stood by the lockers, fearful that he would be chastised for his interruption. I'm sorry, sir, I didn't mean to barge in on you. (laughs) Michael smiled. It's okay, Porky. Come on over. He patted the bench invitingly, and Porky took a seat next to Michael, his little hooves dangling off the ground like a toddler sitting at the grown-ups table for the first time. (laughs) Porky leaned his head onto Michael's lap, and Michael stroked the back of his scalp. Porky, sweet, sweet Porky, he said in a hushed tone. You're the only thing that makes sense in this crazy world. I'm scared, Michael, Porky replied. Those monsters are going to make us slaves. Not on my watch, Porky, Michael reassured him. Porky nodded, but couldn't help a tear from rolling down his cheek. He looked up at Michael. I believe you, sir, but in case this is our last time together, well... They sat in a moment of silence, both knowing where this was heading, but both too timid to make the first move. Sure, the sexual tension had been percolating since they first laid eyes on one another. (laughs) But Michael had a wife to think about, and Porky knew in his heart that he couldn't just keep jumping from black dick to black dick, looking for that missing piece of his heart. Also, author's note, uh, they don't mention it a lot in the cartoons, but Porky Pig had a serious case of jungle fever. Finally, Michael could take it no longer. He knew that the moment was now or never. He slowly fished his huge black member from his shorts. The sweat of a game hard played glistened on its head, making it, <laughs> making it gleam as Porky stared transfixed. Of the dozens, hell, maybe hundreds of chocolate meat poles that Porky had gazed upon, Michael's was by far the biggest, throbbing with anticipation. Fuck me, that's a big cock. (laughs) Porky stammered, unable to control the lust in his voice and the drool collecting in his lip. Michael smiled, stroking the back of Porky's head, which shivered with delight under his touch. Game time, little man. I'm passing you the rock. Now take it to the hole. (laughs) The millisecond the sentence had left his mouth, Porky was upon Michael Jordan's huge pulsing cock taking it all the way to where his tonsils would be if anybody had ever drawn them in. In his fantasies, of which there had been many, Porky had planned to tease Michael a little bit, draw it out a bit, less Speedy Gonzalez, more Slowpoke Rodriguez. 
But in this moment, staring down the barrel of enslavement and even worse, being torn from the love of his life, Porky had no control. He savaged the enormous black love snake sprawled before him with the intensity of a man trapped on a desert island being set loose in a hometown buffet. He consumed that dick the way the desert consumes the rain. <laughs> Michael moaned in ecstasy. In his life, he'd experienced just about every kind of pussy you could. But no human body had ever come close to matching the carnal glory provided by a cartoon tongue and throat, untethered by the laws of physics. <laughs> he bucked into it, fucking Porky's adorable face raw. He'd say this much for the plucky little oinker. Stutter or not, he knew how to use his mouth where it counted. Suddenly, from over the top of the lockers, Tweety Bird swooped onto the scene, a frown on her shitty puckered face. I taught, I taught an abomination unto God. I did, I did tee an abomination unto God. Now, Porky and Michael both knew Tweety's homophobic tendencies all too well. Uh, her deep-seated and very unexpected hate of the lesbian and gay community had caught Michael off guard when he first arrived, but the other Looney Tunes just shrugged it off and were like, ah, eh, she fucking does that. <laughs> <laughs> you filthy faggots are gonna burn in hell, she began, <laughs> but was interrupted as Michael jutted his hand out Mr. Miyagi style and snatched her bigoted ass out of the air. He then spit upon her tiny yellow body, coating her in a layer of saliva. Porky, why don't you spread those ham hocks for me like a good little slut? <laughs> Porky obliged, taking one hand and spreading his ass cheeks apart while still just going to town on the dong in front of him. Michael Jordan reached around him and jammed Tweety's whole body into Porky's anus, turning her into a cunty feathered butt plug. <laughs> Porky moaned through a mouthful of cock as the bird disappeared up his welcoming rectum. <laughs> Tweety, titch, twi bleh, Tweety twitching and pecking for escape, each flailing motion stimulating his pig uh, prostate more and ex causing him to devote even more energy to Michael's giant knob. Any humanity that had been present in either of them was gone. They were something primal now, something fierce. Three beasts stacked inside one another like the unholiest of turduckens. <laughs> Michael moaned loudly, writhing in pleasure. I'm gonna come, Porky. Take my fucking cum, you beautiful pig. <laughs> Porky sped up his blow and stroke motion, ready to accept the gift of his royal airness's hot, salty load. Uh, boom shakalaka. <laughs> Michael screamed as his dick erupted with the white hot fury of a thousand suns, if all those suns were having rocking orgasms. <laughs> the pressure was so intense that it blasted Porky into the air and through the ceiling of the locker room, riding a jet stream of cum and flying higher and higher until Porky was merely a silhouette against the moon. <laughs> Michael Jordan sat for a moment, then stood, emboldened by the slob job from his one true love. <laughs> he then proceeded to go out back on the court and play the shit out of the second half of that game. Uh, the rest, as they say, is legend. The Monstars were defeated and banished back to Bullshit Island or wherever. <laughs> Porky and Michael Jordan were wed later in a small ceremony in Napa Valley, uh, and everybody lived happily ever after, except for Tweety Bird, who was never rescued and drowned in a wave of cartoon pig shit. Uh, that, as they say, is all, folks. Thank you. Keep Carey. Keep it going for Lisa Curry.
So uh, I'm, I'm really into uh, the Kennedy family. And my mom sends me things from time to time. She'll find things at like, you know, estate sales. And she sent me this box of Kennedy stuff. And there was this journal in it. And uh, <laughs> this, this prayer card fell out from his, <laughs> from his funeral. And so I, I started reading. And it's, it's the craziest thing. This is actually Jackie's journal. And so I thought I'd just read you a few pages. <laughs> starts off, I'm going to start with Wednesday. Wednesday, November 20th, 1963. I awoke with a slight headache this morning, which I can only assume is due to the wine I had at dinner last night. I know better than to have more than one glass, but I'm still mourning the loss of our dear sweet Patrick. The process of mending our broken hearts has been arduous as most days are busy, so busy that Jack and I simply do not have any time to devote to emotional healing. I suppose this is both a blessing and a curse, as it has kept me from spending my days weeping and feeling sorry for myself. The day went by very quickly and without incident, thankfully. Jack signed another bill this afternoon, and then we spent the evening carrying on at a, at a reception we hosted in the White House. I am absolutely exhausted, but Jack and I had a lovely time, and it was well worth the sleep I'll be losing this evening. The dreariness of winter is all around us now. <laughs> And I'm very much looking forward to spending the next few days in sunny Texas. I am especially looking forward <laughs> to spending some time away from, away from the kids with Jack as my sexual desires have reached an almost crippling level. <laughs> Last night, I was so horny that I could have fucked an entire army, but Jack just didn't seem to care. We got into bed, and he rolled over to fall asleep, presumably presumably wanting me to cuddle him like a child. I was so infuriated by this that I stuck my finger in my wet pussy and then shoved it up his asshole. <laughs> That'll teach him, I thought. But he just laid there, sound asleep and completely unfazed. I pulled my finger out and slowly thrust it in again repeatedly until finally he woke up, but only moaned a bit and swatted at my hand away as though it were a common housefly buzzing around. I was so mad that I completely lost my sexual urges for the evening and have given up on masturbating until tomorrow. <clears throat> Thir crazy shit, right, guys? Thursday, <laughs> Thursday, November 21st, 1963. Today seemed to drag on, quite frankly. We spent the morning in San Antonio where Jack spoke at a dedication of a building at Brooks Air Force Base. There was more talk of the growing space program, which I find endlessly fascinating, but Jack's speech was a bit rushed so we could continue on to Houston. This evening, Jack gave a beautiful speech for Congressman Albert Thomas. I was having a great time at the reception that followed, but rushed Jack out in hopes that he wouldn't be too tired for sex. I am very disappointed to say that by the time we got back to the hotel, Jack was again very tired and got into bed almost immediately. Between my pregnancy with pregnancy with and subsequent loss of Patrick it has now been over a year since we've made love I tried talking to Jack about my frustrations but he keeps telling me simply that he's too exhausted I understand I am married to the most powerful man in the world but if he can't find the time to fuck his loving wife then perhaps he should just spend a little bit less time chasing after the unknown in space I don't really mean that, of course. I just have nowhere to voice my frustrations. With the press the way it is now, I'm afraid to confide in friends, and I certainly can't go to our priest with such complaints. Can you imagine me, the First Lady of the United States, sitting with Father John telling him how I've taken to pleasuring myself every night? I'm certain he'd tell me to do 10 Hail Marys and suck my husband off until dust came out of his cock. <laughs> it's gotten increasingly harder to come by thinking of just Jack alone, so I've taken to sneaking into the war room at night to masturbate. Just knowing that when he's in that room, he is undoubtedly the most powerful man in the world is nearly enough to make me come on all on its own. 
Saturday, November 23rd, 1963. <clears throat> Yesterday was absolutely the most horrific day of my life. I would not write a journal entry today if it weren't for the obligation I feel to my country to keep records of things each day. <laughs> As the world now knows, Jack and I were... <laughs> Jack and I were riding through Dealey Plaza in Dallas when a bullet struck him in the back of the head, exploding his skull and brain matter across the back of the car and killing him instantly. For some bizarre reason, my immediate instinct was to jump up and grab a little piece of his head <laughs> to try to mend it. Special Agent Hill jumped up onto the trunk to help ensure my safety, but I hardly noticed in the chaos. Our driver immediately took us to Parkland Hospital where doctors failed to revive Jack. I was in such shock that I completely forgot that I, I was still holding onto a little piece of Jack's brain in my hand, <laughs> which was inside my pocket. I kept quiet about it and held it in my hand throughout the duration of the flight back to Washington. The silence of the trip led my mind to wander, and I couldn't help thinking of how the warm, wet piece of brain matter in between my fingers felt exactly like the inside of my vagina. <laughs> By the time we arrived... <clears throat> at Bethesda Navy Hospital for the autopsy. I was so turned on that I could hardly stand it. I sat in the room. <laughs> I, sat <laughs> I sat in the room while the coroner and his team of doctors cleaned Jack's body and calmly took fo photos. <clears throat> Historians will say that I was stone-faced throughout the process, but the truth is that I was overwhelmed with horniness. It was in a sort of a trance. <laughs> Once the autopsy was completed, I asked everyone to leave the room so I could spend the last few moments alone with Jack. I was already beginning <laughs> to unbutton my jacket by the time I heard the door click into place. <laughs> I locked it with one hand as I continued to undress. I stripped down to just my panties, which by then were completely soaked, and turned to face my husband for a fine... <laughs> For our final sexual encounter, <clears throat> I walked along his side, tracing my finger across the edge of his body until I got up to his head. His face was frozen, his mouth agape, and eyes bulging wide open. <laughs> I guess I'm really emotional. <laughs> As though he was coming the hardest he ever had in his life at the moment of his death. I laughed a little to myself at the irony of it. I slid my panties off and stuffed them into his open mouth. <laughs> then I traced my hand across his face and to the top of his head. Out of a sick curiosity, I drug my finger across his exposed brain. <laughs> the outer edge was bone dry, but I shoved my finger in and found that the blood was still wet an inch deep. I shoved in two and then three fingers and pulled them out. The blood was thick and sticky and cold. I marveled at it for a moment before shoving all three fingers into my own wet pussy. <laughs> I locked eyes with Jack while I masturbated and came in less than a minute. I came so hard that I was shaking and sweating, but I was surprisingly more horny. I climbed up on top of him and put my face between his legs and began licking his cock and balls. To my elation, rigor mortis had finally set in. <laughs> and his cock was stiff as a broom handle. I turned around to face him and mounted his small Irish cock. <laughs> his blood, mixed with my cum, was still on my hand and now all over his torso as well. I thrust my hips down and up as I, and cried as I hate-fucked my dead husband. 
This is for all the affairs, I whispered through gritted teeth. <laughs> I could feel my body getting hot, and again, I locked eyes with him as I came. This time, I didn't hold back and instead moaned loudly as I collapsed onto him. It, this must have startled the coroner, who then knocked on the door. Just a minute, I called out as I quickly dressed and cleaned off Jack's body. Before I opened the door, I looked back at Jack with a satisfaction I hadn't felt in nearly two years and smiled. I removed my panties from his mouth and folded them into the breast pocket of his suit jacket. With tears of joy in my eyes, I opened the door and let the coroner and funeral director back in to prepare Jack for tomorrow's service. I stood in the corner watching while they dressed him, weeping softly. In my life, I've never been so satisfied with myself. <laughs> Lisa Curry with a new low. Keep it going for Jesse Elias. Clap your hands all the way to the mic for Mr. Elias. I, I just want to say I have a lot of respect for George Lucas. Okay. Um, on the bucolic pastures of Skywalker Ranch, George Lucas sat by himself in front of an AOL browser, violently masturbating to amputee fetish porn. <laughs> <laughs> Only two things in this world made George Lucas's dick hard. Complete creative control over his artistic vision and people getting body parts chopped off. <laughs> he closed his eyes and thought about Darth Vader chopping off Luke's hand. It made his balls twitch just thinking about the primal Freudian image of a father castrating his disobedient son. <laughs> if only he could do the same to his disobedient children. Those backstabbing shithead fans who grew up on his films only to turn against him 15 years later. George's masturbation grip tightened into an anger-clenched fist. Fucking worthless fans, they didn't deserve Star Wars. He'd given them blood and sweat and tears all packaged up in a shiny new trilogy just for them. And they repaid him with contempt and Asperger nitpicking those fucking ingrates. <laughs> what happened? They'd been such sweet kids in the 80s. George stroked his dick faster now, so lost in the reverie that his mind no longer registered the amputee porn still playing on his computer in full screen mode. All I could see now were the smiles of those adoring children, the captivated expressions on their innocent little faces. It made his whole body shudder with pleasure. Yes, the children. It was always the children who gave him his power, with their active imaginations and their supple, little, underdeveloped minds that made such fertile ground for him to sow the seed of his creative vision. Ah, <laughs> oh, my creative vision! <laughs> Lucas climaxed hard. His dick exploded with so much cum by the time it was over, his desk looked like the roof of a gingerbread house. <laughs> the, the, the brief euphoria accompanying orgasm quickly faded, leaving George only with remorse. Yes, the children had loved him once, but they're all grown up now. And growing up was the surest way to kill George Lucas's boner. <laughs> If only there was some way to reverse the process. With episode one, he could go back and make Darth Vader an innocent little boy again. If only he could do, make those jaded asshole aging Gen Xers change back into the sweet little children who once loved him. George sighed and took out a cloth from his desk. He was about to mop up the jizz with it when another sordid impulse overtook him. Hands trembling, he took the would-be cum rag and anointed it with a tube of model airplane glue. After inhaling from the rag for a few minutes, he felt his consciousness dissolve into darkness. 
George Lucas awoke in an empty room reminiscent of the holding cell in THX 1138. <laughs> Except this room was neon green. The cell door opened and admitted a large black man, completely nude except for an array of tiny white orbs attached to his oiled, muscular body. Who are you? Oh, George Lucas, so nice to meet you. Me Sam Jaja. You're not Jaja. Me Sam too Jaja. This is how me so look like before the computer. We should do the motion capture now. <laughs> Jar Jar began to flit around the neon green room, prancing nakedly like a child too young to know shame yet. <laughs> Every arc and upswing of his big floppy dick was diligently recorded by the little white motion capture ball glued to the tip of his penis, which made it look like a veiny deformed Santa hat. Because it's got a white ball in the end. Mr. <laughs> do a good job, said Jar Jar. He started to warble a few bars from the historic Negro spiritual Swing Low Sweet Chariot. In this contest, context, Swing Low could have doubled as a reference to the pendulous cock wagging between his legs at knee level. George Lucas watched him with a mixture of wonder and horror. Jar Jar, why are you singing slave songs? Why are you asking me for, said Jar Jar, pulling down Lucas's pants. You're the racist one. This is your creative vision. <laughs> No more questions, we's a buttfuck now. <laughs> five, <laughs> five minutes later, Jar Jar was gone. Lucas was handcuffed and bleeding, his ravaged asshole gaping like the Starlight Pit in Return of the Jedi. It could have been his imagination, but he felt like there was still a foreign object lodged somewhere in there. Well, well, if it isn't my number one student. Hello, George. How's it feel to be raped? Lucas looked up and saw an elderly man in a tweed jacket smiling at him. Professor Joseph Campbell, no, you can't be here. You've been dead for over 20 years. Indeed I have. Where, Lucas went pale, where the fuck are we? You're in a place with many names, said Campbell. Judeo-Christian mythology calls this place hell. The ancient Greeks called it Tartarus, the Celtic pagans Ufern, and so on. They are all derived from the same archetype, which is universal to so many different cultures. But then you've always been interested in other cultures, haven't you, George? Yes, a primitive voice grunted. George know a lot about other cultures. Lucas saw five brown-skinned men stepping into view now. They wore feathers and loincloths and necklaces made out of human bones. Who are these guys? Don't you recognize them, said Campbell? These are the xenophobic ooga-booga spear-chucking cannibal savages you created to represent na native culture in all the Indiana Jones films. <laughs> I'm not xenophobic, George protested. I studied anthropology in school. One of the savages raised a spear above his head and declared himself proudly. Me am Grofka, me from Peru. In Peru, we eat human heart and worship temple filled with golden snake. <laughs> Joseph Campbell shrugged. I guess you get what you pay for at Modesto Community College, eh, George? <laughs> but enough talk. He snapped his fingers. Come on, boys, it's dinner time. <laughs> the savages threw ropes around George's ankles and hung him upside down from the ceiling like a Christmas ham. They stripped away their loincloths and began stroking their unspecified ethnic cocks. <laughs> Joseph Campbell was naked too now, twiddling his pale, wrinkly old man penis between the thumb and forefinger. I'm gonna enjoy this, he rasped. Knowing that a cannibal rape feast was imminent, George's asshole clenched tight with fear. That was when he felt it. 
He wasn't imagining things. There really was something left over in his rectum from when Jar Jar raped him. It felt like a switched-off vibrator. Or was it a... If his hunch was correct, then he, this was his last chance for escape. Still hanging upside down, George scrambled to retrieve the object from his asshole, but Jar Jar's handcuffs limited his reach. He strained and flailed and stretched out with his fingers, but it was no use. There was only one hope now. George stopped struggling and became calm. He closed his eyes. He could feel the object starting to loosen inside his butt. He relaxed his breathing and focused on becoming one with the universe around him. And then the lightsaber popped out of his butthole and directly into his hand. Yes, George thought, I have the power of the force. Actually, he didn't. The meditation and deep breathing had relaxed his body enough to loosen the sphincter muscles for the lightsaber to fall out, but that's not really important. <laughs> George ignited the blue blade and cut himself free. The xenophobic characters charged at him with their spears, but they were no match for the lightsaber. Joseph Campbell shrieked in terror. He tried to run away, but Lucas got to him first, slashing off the professor's arms and legs. It was incredibly arousing. The, the, the elder man squirmed on his belly, flapping his stumps in desperation. George, please, show mercy. Lucas ignored his plea. With a single chopping motion, he brought his lightsaber down on Campbell's cock, slicing off the head of the penis. The decapitated glands bounced off the ground, gently rolled to a stop, and exploded. When the smoke cleared, George Lucas looked down at the charred head of Joseph Campbell's penis and saw his own face. <laughs> <laughs> no, he cried, this can't be. What have I, what have I become? What have I, what, what, what? George opened his eyes and found himself lying face down on a keyboard covered in his own cum. He looked up and the amputee porn was still playing on his computer in full screen mode. He was back on Skywalker Ranch again. Thank God, it was all just a dream. Or was it? Thank you. <laughs> Jesse Elias. Keep it going for your final round one competitor, Jordan Morris. Uh, the following is an erotic story that takes place in the online gaming world of Xbox Live. All persons will be, will be referred to by their gamer tags. After an extra-long shift at Kinko's, Insane Clown Posse fan 69 sulked through the door of his apartment and huffed down on the three-quarters full beanbag chair in front of his TV. He was exhausted on account of the fact that his manager, Brent, was being a total dick that day. Apparently, it wasn't cool to make jokes about idiot customers being on their periods, even if there's no way they'd ever hear it. He guessed that the fact... He guessed, the fact that the Brent, <laughs> he guessed that the fact that Brenton had gotten the promotion to shift manager made him feel like some kind of king shit who was too good to get high in the alley behind Carl's Jr. anymore, <laughs> even if it was super slow. <laughs> Fuck Brent. ICPF69 was totally going to quit that job anyway. He had a sweet idea for a website that he described as exactly like Twitter, but it could totally show tits and sometimes it gives out coupons and stuff. <laughs> Once that got big, he'd tell Brent to fuck off, or maybe he'd go to work with his cousin at the jet ski dealership. <laughs> it was a Friday night, and his roommates were probably out with their girlfriends or some gay shit like that. <laughs> fuck them. He could probably go out if he wanted to, but he was saving up money to go to Warp Tour this summer where he could totally mack on high school chicks. <laughs> 
He kicked off his Airwalk sneakers and turned on his Xbox 360 that was connected to a 60-inch flat-screen TV that sat on top of some milk crates he stole from behind Costco, which themselves sat on a carpet that was still pungent from the piss of his late pet ferret, Django Fett, who passed away after eating some weed brownies his stupid roommate accidentally left on the coffee table. The Xbox groaned to life. Its industrial hum immediately put his mind at ease, allowing him to anticipate the, uh, the escape into the adolescent power fantasy that was coming shortly. He popped on his two-way headset, fired up Halo 4, and dropped into a random round of Slayer. Upon spawning onto the map, he was immediately dropped with a well-placed headshot. A familiar voice sounded into his headset. Too slow, Gaywad. Get your dad's balls out of your mouth. It was his nemesis. Horsecock 420. <laughs> Author's note, the S in horse is a dollar sign. <laughs> Even though you can't hear that, I'd like credit for it, as it's a very funny true life detail. <laughs> ICPF responded, fuck your gay butt. Your spawn camping dick is probably covered in shit. As they bantered back and forth, heaping homophobic slur on top of homophobic slur, like homophobic gravy being dumped onto homophobic mashed potatoes, <laughs> a cosmic event was transpiring that would change their lives forever. Far away at Microsoft headquarters in Seattle, a rogue bolt of lightning sped toward the building that housed the Xbox Live servers. The bolt had been supercharged with gamma ions that had probably been building up in the Earth's atmosphere because of pollution. Author's note, commentary. The bolt struck the servers and created a totally well-thought-out science event that made perfect sense. Back on the beanbag chair, everything went black. ICPF-69 woke on a foggy plane, void of detail. What the fuck, he thought. That's the last time I mix whippets and Bud Light Limeritas. He caught a glimpse of something hovering over his head. It was his gamer tag, Insane Clown Posse Fan 69. Off in the distance, he saw other tags hovering there in Microsoft Green. He recognized them all from past bouts of multiplayer. Country Boy 888, Ollie Master 1997, Servant of Christ 44, <laughs> and of course, Horsecock 69. He jogged, across a, uh, he jogged across the barren plain until he reached the others. They looked at each other slack-jawed for a moment. Where the fuck are we? Before any of them could answer, a flash of light ripped through the fog. Through the glare stepped Master Chief, the half-man super-soldier from the Halo series. His voice was raspy and muffled through his space helmet. Hello, boys. It's nice to finally meet you in person. I've been monitoring your online chatter. It would seem that you're all obsessed with dicks and butts. Since I've already helped you fulfill your war fantasies, the next logical step seems to be to help you with the other stuff. I'm going to drive my warthog into your Halo. They stared at him in disbelief, so he clarified. In this scenario, the warthog isn't the vehicle I drive, it's my penis. And the halo is your butts. The mighty Spartan warrior flicked a switch on the waist of his battle armor. With a hydraulic hiss, the pants part of his robot suit hit the ground with a mighty metallic thud. His gigantic member was already engorged with the juice built up from one million light years of hypersleep. This wasn't morning wood, it was morning steel. <laughs> Our lower middle class heroes stared for a minute, then in unison dropped to their knees and started slobbering on Master Chief's Master Chief. Compelled as a video game character is compelled to charge to the waypoint on their map, knowing only that this was their greater purpose. <laughs> Master Chief let out a hearty laugh. I love getting sucked off by you little Xbox dirt bags. Your ill-kept mustaches and goatees tickle my balls. <laughs> 
He, th- he then flipped ICPF 69 around and buried his space dick into the little goober's earth butt. It was the most sexual pleasure the young man had ever experienced, even greater than that hand job he got from that girl at his brother's graduation party who was totally on shrooms. The other insufferable little shits looked on with longing. Chief noticed and proclaimed, Don't worry, boys. I brought friends. From the mist, figures emerged, like totems emerging emerging from sleeping bags. Marcus Phoenix, the armored alien-killing super soldier from Gears of War, the series that is in no way similar to Halo. (laughs) Trailing behind him was Dom, his black friend. Then came John Madden, famous yelling guy and star of John Madden football. Next, the zombies from Left 4 Dead, thousands of random evil foreigners from Call of Duty, the cast of Star Wars but made of Legos from Lego Star Wars. Every character from every game that's ever inspired crass intolerance on Xbox Live. Our heroes quickly dispensed with their clothes, clothes that could only be described as unironic versions of a hipster Jesse Pinkman's Halloween costume. The fuckfest raged across cyberspace. John Madden turned country boy into a human turducken. In this instance, his butt was the turkey, Madden's weenus was the duck, and the catheter he kept crammed up his urethra was the chicken. Marcus and Dom tag-teamed horsecock, their wieners ripping into butt flesh like a chainsaw rips into a grub's leathery hide. Dom exclaimed, Woo! I'm taking it to the end zone! Marcus rolled his eyes. We get it, Dom. You played thrash ball. That's a great Gears of War joke, by the way. (laughs) Master Chief sprayed load after load of semen onto the crowd, his jizz globs like seemingly endless rounds from a plasma rifle spraying spraying into a Covenant bunker. It was a multiplayer lobby of dicks, butts, zombie limbs, Lego arms, rifles both futuristic and modern, and then, as suddenly as a red ring will set upon an Xbox, rendering it useless, they were gone. ICPF came... Uh, ICPF69 came to in his beanbag chair, wizard bong leaning against his hip. Was it a dream? Had it really happened? His butthole was chapped and full of weird cum, both human and alien, so yeah, it totally happened. (laughs) He picked up his controller and signed in. A sniper shot rang out and connected with his head. He yelled into his headshot, you can suck my dick, and this time, he meant it. (laughs) Jordan Morris. Jordan, stay right here, man. To get everybody from round one back up. There you are. All right, so you guys will be voting on a winner with applause in a second. First, I'm just going to remind you of what everybody read, and then we'll vote in a sec. So we started with Ryan Singer with NeverEnding Story, then Keith Carey with Space Jam, Lisa Curry with JFK, Jesse Elias with George Lucas, and Jordan Morris with Xbox Live. So pick a favorite, starting with Ryan Singer, NeverEnding Story. Keith Carey, Space Jam. Lisa Curry, JFK. Pussies. Jesse Elias, George Lucas. Jordan Morris, Xbox Live. I'm calling that for Keith Carey with Space Jam, ladies and gentlemen. Your round one champion, Mr. Keith Carey. Let's hear from everybody for round one. Thank you, fellas. That was awesome. Well, that does it for round one, and congratulations, Keith Carey. 
Tune in next week for round two and come see us on the road. Upcoming live shows include January 5th at the Tacoma Comedy Club in Tacoma, Washington, where I will also be January 2nd through the 4th opening for John Roy, January 21st back at Nerd Mountain, Los Angeles, and then San Francisco Sketchfest three shows, January 30th, 31st, and February 1st. Details can be found at sfsketchfest.com. You can always join the competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Facebook group or follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking for more details. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.